Saved to sin no more. I'm looking forward to that. (laughs) Doing what we were made to do. And one day we will do exactly what we're made to do because of what Christ has already done. Let's close the service in prayer. (laughs) One thing is for sure when you observe the world around you, and that is that we all as human beings are people of faith. We are all people of faith because we are people of trust. If we didn't trust so much for civilization, so much for sanity, when you turned the faucet on this morning, you were a person of faith. You were a person of trust. You trusted that water would come out, not chocolate syrup. You trusted that it was relatively clean enough to drink. You trust after two weeks of labor, your employer is going to give you what you've earned. You're a man or a woman of faith. You're trusting them. You trust the workers in children's church to teach your children about Jesus. We trust people all of the time. And if we had no trust, we would lose our sanity and we wouldn't even have a a civilization so we, we, we totally get the faith thing. We totally get the trust thing. And we're trusting all the time on so many different levels, sometimes to a super high degree. Sometimes our trust is not entirely there. Some things are super important. Other things aren't so important. But day in and day out, almost constantly, we're, we're showing trust. We're showing faith. Well, this morning what we're going to see is we're going to see how, how Jesus provokes us to consider our trust at the highest level. He provokes us to consider our trust at the highest level, what we're trusting in, capital T, what, what, what will end up moving us and making our hearts beat, uh, what we will trust in, what we will depend upon in life and in the next life. And he does this in Luke chapter 6. Uh, the latter part of what's called the Sermon on the Mount. If you haven't already turned there, uh, it sounds like most of you have. Um, But if you haven't already turned there, we'll be in Luke chapter 6 this morning where we're considering ultimate trust. Uh, What really, what what you'll go to the wall for in this life, what you take a bullet for, however you want to put it, your highest level of confidence, another synonym for trust or belief, uh, that matters in this life and in the next life. And Jesus gives four options, really, in Luke chapter 6. Uh, he gives four options for, for our trust level, what we're going to trust in. We're going to look at verses 39 to 49 would be the specific text. Option number one uh, would be uh, trusting in esteemed leaders. Trusting in esteemed leaders. Celebrities, gurus, clerics, authors. That's the first option he's going to deal with. The section, second option when it comes to ultimate trust will be trusting in yourself. Trusting in yourself. A third option Jesus will entertain uh, will be uh, a a lip service trust in Jesus. A lip service trust in Jesus that's not really a trust, uh, or not really a confidence, not really a dependence. And then fourthly and finally, as you might guess, it would be genuine trust in Him. So, uh, genuine trust in Him. Remember, Sermon on the Mount is really Sermon on the Plain. Uh, It's on the side of a mount, uh, more than likely. And so there they are. It would have been referred to as a mountain by some, but the idea is they're partly up on the, uh, the hillside, 
uh, Sermon on the Plain, sometimes it's called, and there is Jesus. And he's instructing primarily, first and foremost, his disciples, the inner circle, as they prepare to go out. They've got to have their heads on straight. They've got to think truly and rightly about him and about salvation and about life and about trust and things like this. There are other people. The crowd is bigger than just those. They're hearing as well. But he really wants them to go out with the right mindset, with the right theology, if you will, um, and, and owning these things before they go out and proclaim these things to other people. And sometimes it helps us to remember that. So let's look at trust option number one, esteemed leaders, celebrities, clerics, gurus, philosophers, authors, those kinds of people. Well, he, he teased them up for us first, and he says in verse 39, he also, or it, sa- it says in 39, he also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead, that's where I keyed in on esteemed leaders, can a blind man lead a blind man? Class? No. The simple answer is no. Of course a blind man can lead a blind man because of the little chirping sound at the crosswalk and he can help him. But there would be no chirping sound if there weren't people who had sight. To put it there, the idea is straightforward, right? Blind people can't lead blind people. They need people with vision to be able to lead them safely. So then he asks the next rhetorical question. Will they not both fall into a pit? Implied answer, well, yes. It's certainly yes. It's a no-brainer yes. Before we go any further, I've got to ask you a question that's going to help you understand the passage, and that is, who are the, the esteemed leaders? This time, this place, this culture amongst these hearers. Starts with a P sound. Well, P starts with an F sound, right? Right? Pharisees. Pharisees. There's no question that they are the esteemed leaders. I'm not saying they're perfect. I'm not saying people thought they were perfect, but they are the esteemed leaders. If you, are, if you believe the Bible is true, if you're a religious conservative especially, you don't like the Sadducees, you like the Pharisees. And they are they're the key leaders of all. I think first and foremost, Jesus has them in mind because they're going to be the ones where the culture turns mentally. They're the guys. They're the trustworthy ones. If you would, just ever so quickly turn to Matthew 15. And in Matthew 15, you see similar wording. I'm not saying he's only talking about the Pharisees. But I think it would be wrong for us to read this without realizing who, the, who that esteemed group of leaders would be. They would be the Pharisees. And Jesus spoke in very similar terms, really the exact same terms. And he named them elsewhere. Matthew 15 <clears throat> And in verse 12, we see he's talking about the Pharisees. And then in verse 14, it says, let them alone. Let the Pharisees alone. Stay away from them, which is shocking, countercultural. That's, that's not normal. What in the world are you thinking? Leave them alone. They're the ones whose feet we should be sitting at. He says, let them alone. They are blind guides. Just oozes, drifts with irony. They're blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. So have that in mind here when he's talking about esteem, celebrity status, leader, cleric, the kind of people you trust. They know the Bible, supposedly. They know the way. They've got a good sacred tradition behind them. And Jesus says in this parable back in Luke chapter 6, they'll both fall into a pit. If you follow those kinds of people, it's blind leading the blind. Now, I think it's appropriate for us to, to, at this point in time, say this is a good general principle. 
Okay, application time. Be careful who you follow, right? Be careful who you follow. I just heard this weekend, sadly, of someone who's become an apostate, to use the technical term. Um, and they used to say they believed, and they used to say they believed the truth about Jesus, and now they don't believe any of it anymore. And uh, in no small way, it could be traced back to who their teachers were. Teachers who were teaching all kinds of strange things, unbiblical things, unique, novel, kind of crazy things. And, uh, you know, it's a good, good warning, general principle. We should really be careful who we're putting our, our dependence upon or in, who we're trusting to be our teachers. Um, but I think it's part of a bigger argument here. Uh, uh, yes, Pharisees are our are main target, but we could argue by way of application beyond the Pharisees and not just general principle of be careful who you follow. Uh, I think where Jesus is going when we re- keep reading and the progression of all of this is ultimately, ultimately, you can't trust any kind of leader. Ultimate trust. There are great leaders. The Bible affirms certain leaders. There are leadership qualifications, so somebody should be a leader. But ultimately, you, you, you can't even trust the best, I think is where he's going, because ultimately he's going to point to himself as the one who is worthy of, of absolute confidence. So then verse 40 says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. So let that soak in your mind a little bit. What is Jesus saying and how does that relate to what came before? You're not above your teacher. Everyone, when he's fully trained, will be like his teacher. Now we can again isolate that and draw a general principle from that. And I think that would be fair and good and right. Except I'm going to make sure I connect it to verse 39. I think what's happening, I can't be absolutely certain about this. I think what's happening is he's anticipating, anticipating an objection. Well, I'm putting my confidence in them, but I know nobody's perfect, so I just take the good and I get rid of the bad. That, that's reasonable. That's even a wise thing on certain levels. But Jesus is sort of ratcheting it up and saying, you know, at the end of the day, you're going to be like them. At the end of the day, you're going to be like they are. So be careful with the philosophy of, well, I'm just going to take them for their good and I've been around them enough to know that they're not perfect. And even though they're not perfect, they're the best there are. So I'm going to really put my confidence in them. And I think Jesus is challenging that. Again, I don't want to, I want to be careful and not dogmatic, but I'm trying to keep it all together. Jesus is challenging that and saying, well, yeah, you know the imperfections. But what about the things you don't see and don't know? At the end of the day, you're going to be like them. General truism, you're not going to supersede them. You're not going to rise above them. Which is troubling on another level. But again, the idea, because we're going to end with Jesus being the one we've got to trust in, he's, he's, he's knocking down the icons. I'm trusting in these leaders. And, and, he, and, and he's saying, hey, celebrity status? Guru status? People who know a lot, status. You know they're not perfect. And you know, you know you're not going to rise above their level. It's time to knock those over when it comes to ultimate trust. 
blind leading the blind. But they don't absolutely know the truth about Christ. Now let's think about where we are, where we're putting our eggs in our baskets. You think about iconic leaders. And maybe not just in the religious realm, but just in the realm. Where, 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 what makes your heart beat? You know, what, just, what moves you? What moves me? Where are we putting our, our, our confidence? Now, it's true, we're citizens of this world, and we're citizens of the kingdom of heaven, and we have our obligations here, and there's something wise about doing certain things in the here and now. I'm not knocking that. I don't think Jesus is either. But we still put our confidences in things, and and they move us more than anything else, and we invest in them like nothing else. For some of you, no doubt, it's your health. But even think about the iconic leader's in the world of health. It's not a good place to put your ultimate trust. Some of you who are part of the older crowd here today, maybe uh, an icon back in the day, Jack LaLanne. My mom talked about Jack LaLanne. He, he, he knew it all, man. He lived to be a good, long, long old-aged guy. Cultural icon when it comes to health. He died in 2011. My generation, I remember in college, and it was all about weightlifting. I was on the weightlifting team, and I was all about it to the nth degree. And Joe Weider was the guy, Muscle and Fitness Magazine, and he was the one. Joe Weider died in March. Or you could cite the best medical kind of advice and medical journal. Maybe not the fitness side of things or whatever. I just just encourage you when you're when you're on your run, going for it. Just make sure you see the cemetery on the side of the road. You know, I want you to be like in the movie. I see dead people. You know, I want you to hear dead people. I want you to hear them speaking to you, saying, "Run all you want." Fitness isn't a good Messiah. It's not a good deliverer. Now we can move into the philosophical. Maybe it's a self-help guru, somebody you like to listen to, you like to buy their books. Um, They really move you. They really seem to provide the answers to the big questions you have. You're trusting them. And again, there might be lowercase level T trust because people can be wise and they can help us. But to really put your confidence in any of these people is to put your confidence in someone who is flawed. They don't have all the answers. And you're not going to outdo them. And so, see them as the bankrupt messiahs that they are. They might matter in this life, but not ultimate matter. They shouldn't ultimately consume you, therefore, and they're not going to matter in the next life. And so Jesus knocks these Objects of trust down. With the parable, with his teaching, they're not going to offer ultimate deliverance. And if I can lead us into the second option, maybe we get from option one to option two, leaders, trust these leaders. Oh, we can't trust the leaders. And I've seen enough to know we can't trust leaders. And I've been burned by enough leaders. And, And so I'm with you, Jesus. I'm totally there. And by now, my conclusion is, there's only one person in this life I can trust, and that's... Me, I trust myself. 
I'm done putting my trust in other people, putting my faith in them. And by now I figured out I wasn't born yesterday. I just need to trust myself. And Jesus is glad we're thinking that way if that's what he's anticipating. And that's so he can see and show us that that's not actually the solution either. Trust myself. I'm pretty smart. I subscribe to Consumer Reports. I've gone to college. And some of you say, I didn't need to go to college. I see what all that college does to people. I trust myself and not college. That just messes people up. I mean, we can go back and forth and say, I know, I've lived, I've been around the block, I know the answers. And not only that, when I talk to other people, they seem to know a lot less than me. And they seem to be all confused about a lot of things. And by now, I'm not very confused. And so, so it goes so many times. I've studied comparative religions, and they all seem so crazy, and they seem so mixed up. When I look at myself, I seem to have things figured out a lot better than other people. And you know what the Republicans' problem is? You know what the Democrats' problem is? You know what rich people's problems are? You know what poor people's problems are? Conservatives, liberals, blah, 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 right? I know the answers. Verse 41, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log that is in your own eye. And we're not talking two by four. This is meant to be ridiculous, stupidly ridiculous. We're talking about the pillar. You know, think sequoia. Okay. (laughs) They they grow up to like 300 feet tall. I mean, it's meant to be like ridiculous and stupid. Oh, here's your, here's your problem. 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 And you got this going, you know. I got this 300-foot sequoia sticking out of my eye, and I'm pointing out everybody else's little, you know, you got, you got a little piece of something right there. And Jesus is going, yeah, you got all the answers figured out. Um, so keep that in mind. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log, the sequoia that is in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Yikes. Criticize, criticize, criticize. Maybe it sounds more spiritual. Discernment, discernment, discernment. Whatever it might be. And he's going, look in the mirror, would you? Look in the mirror. You know everybody else's problem. You know everything everybody else did wrong. And you've got this glaring issue in your own life. It's a grotesque kind of freak show kind of image that he gives here. Confidence in yourself? Confidence in yourself so much so that you can point out other people's immorality. When in secret you do the same kind of thing. And you can say, oh yeah, she's a, she's a gossip. And you just... Put your gossip under the guise of prayer request. Or whatever it might be. Jesus wants us to see that the reality is we're all sinners. We're all broken. And as soon as you see everybody else's big problems, the reality is you've got bigger problems. And so trust in self isn't where it is either. Confidence in self isn't where it is. Faith in self isn't where it is. Don't trust yourself. He gives another tree illustration in verse 43 where it says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. 
Okay, they produce a kind like their nature. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. Clear enough, clear enough, clear enough. Verse 45, the, the good person out of, excuse me, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. I take that again like so many of the things Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. It's proverbial. It's a general truism. But I wouldn't take that out of context. Generally speaking, you want to know what somebody's heart's like? Listen. And don't listen selectively. Listen to everything they say. Listen to them 24-7. You're going to find out what kind of person they are. And if they're a good person, good things come out of their mouth. If they're a bad person, bad things come out of their mouth. General truism, straightforward. Jesus wouldn't have been the first one to come up with this. But keep it in the context. He was just talking about specks in people's eyes and logs in people's eyes. I don't think his point is to say there are good people in this world and there are bad people in this world because everybody's got something in their eye. And if we allow this to be informed by other things Jesus says about our hearts, which we would be wise to do, we're going to see him as, yeah, this is generally a proverbial truism. But he's not saying there are people who are inherently good and there are people who are inherently bad. He's not saying that. Look with me at one passage so you can see this to be the case. And it's back to Matthew 15. If you go back to Matthew 15, let's, let's keep this in mind in the bigger context of what we're reading, you don't trust yourself because everything you say is good. The reality is everything you say isn't going to be good. Even if everything you say isn't bad, he's getting at how do we know people's hearts? And let's be informed about what he's getting at here before we take it and run with it and say, well, they obviously are a good person because everything they say is good and right. Well, Let's weigh in on that. We're dealing with people with logs in their eye or specks in their eye. Um, and then Matthew 15 is really important. Verse 17. Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? That's where you go, ugh. Okay. Where are you going with this, Jesus? Um, I don't say that in church. Um, okay, well, that's what he says. It's just common sense. Verse 18, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. They were confused. They were thinking it's the external things that were going to defile a person and make them bad. And Jesus is saying, you got it totally wrong. You don't understand true religion. Actually, the issue is, you know, something outside, you take it, you eat it, it goes in your stomach, and then you flush. Gross, yes, but that's how it works. Things aren't inherently bad from the outside. Where, where does the bad come from? What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. That's the genuine you, the mission control center of your being. And this defiles a person. Verse 19, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. I think we need to let that inform us. We need to let Psalm 14 inform us. We need to let Romans 3 inform us, which is quoting Psalm 14. The idea is, those things you hear people say, not all the time, 
because we don't act as bad as we could. But those things you hear people say aren't just little slip-ups. You know when they think the microphone is off behind the stage and they're running for president and they say something that they wish they could take back? It's not that they didn't mean that. They did mean it. Or when everything seems to be going good in your day, then something happens and you say something that perhaps other people have never heard you say before. Oh, I didn't really mean that. Oh, you so did. (laughs) And probably ten times more. What comes out of your mouth reveals your heart. And ultimately, we're all going to say bad things. Whether it's slander or gossip or lying, deceptive kinds of things, hurtful kind of things, angry kinds of things. Because at the end of the day, we're all going to be tainted with sin. And how do you know what a person is really like? One way is to listen to them. One way is to listen to them. And one way is to listen to yourself and those things you say. And you say, yeah, but I know, but God knows my heart. Hello. And now we do too because you said it. The problem is God knows our heart. But the way you can tell that everyone else is a sinner, just listen to them long enough. And you're going to figure it out. You're going to figure it out. And hopefully you're going to figure it out about yourself. You can't trust the gurus, ultimate trust. You can't trust yourself, ultimate trust. Because the problem is not outside you and the solution comes from inside. The problem is inside of you. And the solution has to come from outside. By the way, that's what makes Christianity different from all other religions. Seems like every religion on planet Earth says the problem is outside. Even religions that don't call themselves religions. Our problem is our environment. Our problem is our situation. Christianity says our problem is our heart. And the solution isn't going to come from within. The solution has to come from without, specifically 2,000 years ago in the Middle East on a Friday afternoon. (laughs) We need salvation, we need rescuing. We need trust in someone else. So trusting in self isn't the option. Let's go to number three. Jesus, but not really. Jesus in a lip service kind of way. Verse 46 says, Jesus has been narrowing. He's been, he's been um, drawing in the argument so we don't have anything else to trust in. Ultimately, verse 46 says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? You know, air sucked out of the room. An awful feeling you would have. Jesus says, why why do you call me sovereign, sovereign? Why do you call me Lord, Lord? Why do you call me King, King? You don't do what I say. Why do you say you trust me? But you trust in all these other things? Trust in yourself? It just doesn't even make any sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. 
And I don't know about you, but when I look at that, I think, well, I mean, in one sense, some is better than none. I mean, at least we're saying, Lord, Lord, to Jesus. We, we have some theology straight, at least in what we're saying. But Jesus just lays down the hammer and really pushes it. Why do you even say that? Because based upon your reliance, based upon your dependence, based upon what moves you, based upon where your confidence is, those words that come from your mouth are empty words. It's not real. Mentally, it causes me to go to that church in the book of Revelation, the seven churches in the early chapters of the book of Revelation, and there's the church that's neither cold nor hot. We like Jesus. Not enough to totally trust him, but we like Jesus. We're not denying him. And where Jesus says, you know, I wish you were cold or hot. I wish you'd just come clean and, and call me Lord and trust me. Or don't call me Lord at all and don't trust me. I'll be honest. If you stay in the state you're in, my solution is, and he gives that grotesque picture, is I'm going to spew you out of my mouth like awful tasting water. I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. And you go, wow. I thought some faith was better than no faith. But when we're talking about Jesus, faith, trust, dependence, you're either trusting in him or you're not trusting in him. That's all. And Jesus wants you to be clear on it. Not for her, his sake, but for your sake. And so he's gracious to do this. He's kind to do this. I find verse 46 so helpful, especially in uh, a, a world in which, in the world of my imagination, in the real world that I live in, where, you know what, it's, at least he's got some. Maybe it's worse to have some. You're either on the team with the jersey or not on the team with the jersey. And Jesus wants you to know. I like it that he wants us to know. It's gracious and kind that he wants us to know. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? It's definitely a rebuke. And then finally, the final trust option, option number four, is Jesus, not half-hearted, pseudo, but genuine. Look at verse 47 where he says, Everyone, I love the inclusivity of it all, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I, I had to draw a box around comes, hears, and does. It's one thing to say, Lord, Lord. Oh, I'm trusting in you. You're my, you're, I'm, you're my confidence. And he says, everyone who comes, everyone who hears, and everyone who does. Genuine trusting. Not merely empty, Lord, Lord, trusting. Genuine trusting. I will show you what he is like. Verse 48. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had, it had been well built. In other words, that person is a wise person. They didn't cut corners. They didn't just do it for other people. They didn't just do it for show and say, wow, that's amazing. 
He's just saying that's a wise person. They did it the right way with the right foundation. And so when the trials come and the difficulties come, it's not going to be mere empty. I trust in Jesus. Jesus is my atoning sacrifice. Jesus is my righteousness. I know I'm right with God because of Jesus. If it wasn't real, he's talking about people who really trust in him. They really trust in him because, quite frankly, folks, you only get so many birthdays. They, they really trust him because they know that even the greatest clerics, gurus, leaders, teachers, philosophers don't have the ultimate answers either. So what's wise? What's wise? Wise is to really, truly, genuinely trust Him. To really, truly, genuinely trust in Him. Because you can depend upon Him and you can't depend upon anyone else. God only has one Son who provided perfect atonement, who provided perfect reconciliation. Jesus hasn't gone there yet. He hasn't gone to the cross. But in anticipation... The wise person is the one who trusts me, not themselves, not other people. Just think about it from an from a investment vantage point. We're going through, you know, raising kids, doing all this stuff. What's a wise investment? What's a foolish investment? I mean, you just take this in the total secular realm. What's a wise investment? There are wise investments and there are stupid investments. Well, if we're talking about the one who rose from the dead... Um, that's, that's pretty good. I think we're on to something. <laughs> Speaking from heaven, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. How'd they pull that one off? The one who fulfills the promises? How did that happen? It's just a wise investment. Trust in him. He can rescue you. You can't rescue yourself. Verse 49 then says, But the one who hears and does not do, the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Just to read into the illustration or take it a little step further, in light of what Jesus says elsewhere. So what do you think the neighbors would think of the two different houses? So this guy's on this side of the street building the same house. This guy's on this side of the street building his house. Same exact houses, because both build houses. Because everybody trusts in something. So both build houses, and the neighborhood watches. And the storm came, and the one guy's house is leveled. And the other guy's house, you know... As a paint chip. Not even that. And everybody watches and goes. Wise. Foolish. They look the same on the outside. But it becomes clear. It becomes clear. Both build houses. Both houses look good. But they didn't last that way. Application is easy. 
just comes back to what's your ultimate trust. I realize this is Sunday school level today. This is like ABCs as basic as it gets. But guess what? Jesus is going to keep drawing lines in the sand like this. Because he loves us and he's kind and gracious and he wants us to get it through our minds and into our hearts. This is how it is. What you do with Jesus is the most important thing about you. You are a truster. You are a man or woman of faith. We demonstrate it all the time in the things that we do. And you are investing your, your best emotions, your best efforts. Your heart is committed to something. And Jesus, ever so kindly and graciously, but bluntly, is saying, this is a really stupid investment. What are you thinking? Let me help you think clearer. Let me give you some good counseling. This is the only wise investment. It's the only one that's going to last forever. You might be saying, how do I know? How do I know what I'm trusting in? Ultimately, that's something only God knows. But what moves you? What are you most passionate about? What do you give yourself to? It's true, you've got to give yourself to other things. Because it is true, you have responsibilities in the here and now. But what moves you most? What, 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 what causes your heart to beat most? What, what do you give yourself to most above all other things? It's going to matter in this life and in the next life. And, and if you can answer that question, you can, you can begin to see who you're trusting in, what you're trusting in. Enjoy life. Have lots of pleasure in life. Yes. Do it for the glory of God. Yes. But those things that are temporal aren't going to deliver. Messiah means deliver. They're not going to deliver. They're not even going to give you the ultimate joy in this life, the kind of joy that God made you to have that only comes from trusting in Christ. He alone is worthy. You're a wise person if you're trusting in Him by God's grace. Trust in Christ, not in something else. When you live your life this week and you walk through life, my prayer for you is going to be that you're paying attention. That you're paying attention to your affections. You're paying attention to your, what your life is invested in. Because we all get 24 hours, seven days this week. And you're going to be busy investing. And I'm going to be busy investing. But what we want to be true is the ultimate, overriding, penetrating thing that touches everything else is this commitment, this trust, this confidence in the work of someone outside of you on your behalf. You're shown to be a wise person. Shown to be a wise person. Father, thank you for our time together today. Thank you for the simplicity of the teaching of Jesus.
as the songwriter says, we are prone to wonder. And indeed we do. Shock us and and startle us uh, to be able to see reality for what it really is. That our ultimate confidence would not be in anyone or anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us. Help us. Lord Jesus, help us. Amen.